Welcome to Course Stories, produced by the Instructional Design and New Media team of EdPlus at Arizona State University. In this podcast, we tell an array of course design stories alongside other ASU Online designers and faculty. On today's course story, it looks like you are giving students a map. Is that intentional? It is. And the map reference here, I think, is perfect for talking about this. All faculty want students to have a great experience, and they want them to get what is maybe locked in their mind. And the question we have is, how do we get it out to students in a way that makes sense to them? And so in traditional classes, say in a classroom, it's not as hard, I would say, for them to create that map because they're engaging directly with the students constantly in, in a mutual creation of it. So they create the syllabus, which is the guide, but it's, it's like a map that's being painted in as they go. Whereas online, we have to have it created ahead of time. And, and that is something that's, that's a lot harder for us. Going from a traditional class concept is like having a, like a centuries-old map that's more art than it is science versus a modern Rand McNally, which gets us to a place. And, and that's where the course design comes in. Hi, I'm Mary Loader, an instructional designer from ASU Online. I'm Ricardo Leone. I'm a media specialist at the same place. Yeah, we work together. Let's get on with the show. Okay. Let me see. Hello, hello, hello. Check, check, check. In the upper deck. What's that mean? <laughs> check, check in the upper deck. You've never heard that before? Never heard that. Oh my gosh, it's like a common thing. What? Maybe just in my world. Check, check in the upper deck. Yeah. What does that mean? Uh, it's like a common thing that people say into a mic when they're checking it. Really? Yeah. Because <laughs> okay. of the hard Ks and the Check, check in sounds. the upper deck. It's more of the P's that are the problem. The possibility of you not hearing that is insane. Hey, Mary. Hi, Ricardo. How are you today? I'm doing really well. Are you excited for this next episode of season three very excited for this next episode of season three so who are we going to hear today mary oh we're going to hear from meredith savides Mm -hmm. and david corlett was in the studio did some videos with us about project management which i I have some tangential knowledge of i definitely understand it as a concept but i know that is also just like a school of thought a field you know like with multiple certificates i don't understand it honestly right well why don't we have david corlett himself Tell us what this is. Perfect. As I talk about in class, project management is kind of a career is eons old, eons millennia. There we go. More appropriate. Project management skills were used in creating the Great Pyramids in uh, Stonehenge. Uh, So you can see evidence of that early on. What we're looking at uh, here today is more the academic and professional discipline of it, which is really a 20th century creation. So Second World War onward, uh, where these massive projects, Manhattan Project and others during the Cold War, all these technological projects uh, that were being developed, and they had to have a means of doing it. And so if you go back and look through that period, you see the creation of things like the Gantt chart, the PERT method, the critical path, all of these things start appearing in kind of the middle to late 20th century. And then as a discipline, it really doesn't begin to develop until the late 1960s with the foundation of the Project Management Institute and other professional organizations. And in true disciplinary fashion with the creation, say, of journals and professional writing, that's the 1980s, believe it or not. So this is a relatively young discipline that's still finding its feet in academia in a theoretical approach to things. So that's where we're speaking from. Uh, So as I tell students, it is a very, very practical profession and discipline with long roots, but we have an intellectual side to it that they are just beginning to enter into. I lectured on that last week. 
I knew I could count on you to have that I get it. I do understand it quite a bit more now. I don't get it, but I'm going to go to the show notes and I'm going to go to the PMI site and I'm going to look at that. And then you'll be right on your way to getting a certificate. Maybe. We'll see. I mean, I could definitely use the help because our production schedule, we Mm -hmm. work off of a spreadsheet. Gosh, just by the skin of our teeth, are we able to get each episode out every second Tuesday or third Tuesday sometimes, uh, last season's wrap up. So, I mean, you know, we're still dividing our critical path. And we we appreciate your patience, (laughs) listener. Uh, with us. But I, I think we do pretty good. But but yes, definitely we could benefit from some project management uh, knowledge. Uh, In fact, to if the anyone show. wants to be our project manager, feel free to contact the show, Course Stories at ASU.edu. Yeah, it's going to be a contest. <laughs> to tell us in 50 words or less why you deserve to be our project manager. Do you like torture? Yes or no? <laughs> Alrighty, so we're going to be interjecting throughout the episode and we hope you enjoy this. All right, Dave, why don't you uh, take it away? I'm David Corlett. I am uh, with the Faculty of Leadership and Integrative Studies in the College of Integrative Sciences and Arts. And I teach primarily project management courses at ASU, but my background is in history and broader liberal arts. And thank you. I'm glad you're here with us. My name is Meredith Savitas. I'm an instructional designer with Ed Plus. And we are here today to talk about the course PMG 322 Project Time Management. This is a refresh of this course. And we're going to talk a little bit about your experience and how you approached the revision of these course and course design in general. Yes, this this is the same course that we teach uh, within CISA, but it is being transported, I suppose, over to the new Universal Learner Initiative at ASU, where uh, others will be taking our courses outside of our classroom settings. But it's the same approach, but we've had to do some redesign to fit uh, new needs, a new audience, and, uh, and just generally refresh it and achieve best practices in online teaching. And we have a number of new tools that we get to experiment with as well, as well as going back and using newer versions of old technology friends that uh, that are bringing new things to the table. Excellent. We should definitely unpack ULC, Universal Learner Courses, because though we do have another episode coming up later this season that mm-hmm. does a much better job than what I'm about to do, our listeners probably don't know what Universal Learner courses are because it's very unique to ASU. Go for it. So it's one of the pieces of our portfolio. We have these different enterprises at ASU. One mm-hmm. is the academic enterprise, which mm-hmm. most normal students, that's like what you belong to. Mm-hmm. And then we have the learning enterprise, which actually comprises of Career Catalyst, which is like after you're in industry and you want to like bump up your knowledge or just generally enjoy learning. Mm-hmm. You could go there. And then we have Universal Learner Courses, which I am a huge fan of for multiple reasons. Mm-hmm. One, it was birthed from Ed Plus and the Instructional Design New Media team before it went over to Learning Enterprise. But also my own son is benefiting from their program. He just enrolled this last session. Oh, great. Again. Yeah. Oh, Universal, Universal Learner course. Courses are great for high school students who maybe are taking a non-traditional path and mm-hmm. need to earn credit before they come to college. And so we're very grateful that this pathway exists. Excellent. Do you want to give us a little uh, summary of the course? Sure. Well, uh, 
Project Time Management is a misnamed course. I'll say that from the start. People look at uh, time management and they expect to come in thinking, this is going to help me manage my personal time. And it's not. That's, that's important, but this course doesn't really address that. At the same time, if you look at this and say Project Time Management, it's like, well, how much can we talk about time and schedules and project management? Honestly, a lot. It, it might sound, if I can say a little of a snoozer, but it's not. If you like logic, if you like puzzles, then this is a class that would really appeal to an analytical mind uh, because we we talk about project scope is a big part of it. What goes into a project and not just the big picture, but breaking it down into all the small chunks that you can then assign out or complete in a reasonable amount of time. And then we look at the relationships between these different tasks and the activities that go into them and come up with a logical order in which they have to be done. So I, I liken this really more to creating a three-dimensional puzzle where you have to understand that you have to build a base before you can get to the top, yet you still have to address all the pieces in the process. And I don't know if this is going to be pertinent, but within CESA, was this an elective or was this a requirement? It is a requirement for uh, students who are in the OGL project management concentration okay. and, and in future degrees. It does have a prerequisite of PMG 320, uh, which is the foundations course before taking it. But we get students from across the university and across disciplines that take it. Can you tell us a little bit about the course? What excites you about it? Well, the, the excitement for me really is in the logic. And so my background is a historian. I believe in investigation and finding small pieces and then assembling them into something larger that makes a lot of sense. And that's what appealed to me about project management when I was first brought into it. And so in project time management, that's really what we do. We investigate a project. Uh, you, you have to think about all of its components, how they logically create a 100% of a project. And then again, you have to go back and think, what are the relationships between these? So you can't build a frame of a house before you have a foundation. And that's, that's a very simple example of this, but we do it with the smallest details in here to understand what must come before and after, what can be done concurrently, what can be done uh, in an overlapping way, all to achieve an overall purpose. So again, it's the logic and the puzzle aspect. What do students come out with? You know, is there a final culminating project where they've, you know, put this puzzle piece together and what do they have? Well, they're given a half-assembled puzzle, uh, okay. to put it this way. And this assignment was designed by Dr. Denise Bates originally, who, who created the first version of this course, and who's also a historian. So she approaches it very similarly uh, to me. And she came up with the concept of having students come into a project halfway through. So they're part of a museum expansion team. And the previous project manager just up and left or was fired. We don't know. And they have to come in and make sense of this system. Oh, cool. And they're given some basic parameters. They're given uh, the list of tasks and relationships. They're given the critical path, so a, a portion of a network diagram. And then they have to figure out how to essentially reduce the project schedule by about eight or nine days using the techniques they learn in class. Oh, okay. And so again, it's investigating all the pieces. What can they do? Where can I make changes? How do I assemble this together? So again, in the end, what they're really addressing here, what they're exercising is critical thinking more than anything along with these very specific project management techniques. Very cool. 
Like It's like escape the room. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It is. <laughs> All right. Can you tell us a little bit about the learning objectives besides just this project? What are students coming out with? Well, the ultimate objective that they'll get out of this is the ability to create a project schedule. But there are a lot of smaller objectives that all lead into this. As we discussed in other parts here, they'll they'll learn how to define and, and categorize different approaches to project schedule management. They'll understand how it fits within the broader project life cycle itself. They'll learn how to diagram project activity sequences. So this is not quite a flow chart, but creating multiple pathways through a project so that they can see where choke points are, where uh, there is no flexibility in time and therefore focus their efforts if necessary on those. That's where they'll learn about critical path. Um, and then we'll apply a lot of this to a variety of case studies throughout. So individual objectives, they'll practice these and then they pull them together at the end in modifying and creating a project schedule for this museum expansion. Cool. I wanted to ask a little bit about group work. Is there group work in this course? Uh, Distance work in a team? In uh, in live versions of this, I, I find that that works better. It is tricky to do teamwork across time zones and continents online. Sure. And so what I've I've done with this is I've created instead kind of an advisory capacity that students have for each other. So uh, as an example with the final project, they start thinking about it and in working on it in the module before. And the big discussion assignment they have for the week is to come up with options for that project and pitch them to smaller groups, say within Yellow Dig or discussion boards, and then receive peer feedback on their proposals that they can incorporate into the final work. Love it. So using their peers, like some pseudo groups. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> but, um, but getting some feedback. I do the same thing in the other assignments too that they post. And, and these are large scale classes. So I'm able to get them in groups of about 10 to 12 students students, thereabouts, and they post, and then they're responsible for critiquing everyone else's work as well. So they get my feedback, yep. plus they get peer feedback, and then again, the applied version at the end. Excellent. So this course has been taught for a couple of years, originally developed by Denise. What is different about it now? If you had refreshed it for ULC courses and are now using this version for you know CESA students, what, what is different? Well, I could kind of categorize it in three areas. First, I'll say from a technical and knowledge base, there's been a lot of refresh. So when Denise first developed this, uh, the PMBOK, the Project Management Body of Knowledge, was in its new sixth edition at that point. And so the course was structured around that. And a few years later, Project Management Institute comes out with the seventh edition, which didn't quite throw out the sixth edition, but, but really changed it. It added more of a focus on uh, the human element and value creation as opposed to a focus on processes. And now we just heard that there's an eighth edition coming out next year and trying to keep up with these changes is, is tricky. So while we use concepts that are still presented, say in the sixth edition, they're still valid because the methods that you use in project management don't necessarily change. It's how we apply them and probably the value that we put on different ones. And so part of that refresh has been somehow accounting for this change over time and shift the focus from understand how we do things to why we do things. So that's the, the uh, probably the biggest change. He said PMBOK. Do you know what PMBOK is? He yeah. said it a few times. No idea. Let's Google it. <laughs> right now? I mean, sure. PMBOK, project management. It was body of knowledge. He did say that. PMBOK, project management, body of knowledge. Oh, it's because it's a K. Yeah. 
It's a book. It's the body of knowledge around project management. Okay, that makes sense. Now I get it. It's a standardized common sense book. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Standardizing common sense through project management. (laughs) Remember when common sense came along with some folksy kind of wisdom? Now it's very standardized, clinical, yeah, process oriented. Yeah, you don't just have it. (laughs) It's not common. (laughs) Right. Right. Okay, back to the episode. The second area of change has to do with best practices. We originally, when Denise originally designed this and when I did my own first version of this, I was probably following an older model of lecture mode. And so uh, we had wonderful presentations put together, good slides, good imagery, and then sit down and record it and have students watch it. Well, watching 30-ish minutes in that setting uh, doesn't really allow for focus. And so what I did a lot with this was take it and chunk it down into smaller mini lectures and say, this is a point I'm covering in this today. So it might be, this is critical path, or this is uh, activity relationships. And while students watch a few more videos within each segment, they're able to focus in, hone in on one specific thing at a time, go back and review it easily, as opposed to having things getting lost in a big lecture as it might in the classroom. Uh, So so different things like that. Yeah. Can I ask you, how did you know to do that? Do you did you get feedback from students about that, or are you just going straight to what the research says? Uh, it's probably a variety of things. One is is the research that's out there and the great guidance that we get from instructional designers, ASU Online. So that information is very helpful. Part of it is 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 personal because if I'm teaching something and frankly, if I'm boring myself with something, I know the users are going to feel the same way. So it's like, how do I change that so I engage myself? and I engage them during that time period. And then the other is I've, I've been fortunate to have a lot of in-house personal feedback because I have three kids. Two of them are still in college. One is a graduate. And I would have them look at my stuff and I would add them to my class and say, from a student perspective, what do you see? And they were brutal. <laughs> and, and they would give me feedback and suggestions and it was very helpful. So it's, it's personal. It's in-house user experience, and then it's the professional guidance that we get. Awesome. I personally love that he used his kids as consultants. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's so great. Yes. Like, get, get that. anybody you can to look at your course, but absolutely get the most honest, harsh critics of your life, which mm-hmm. are your children, mm-hmm. to review your courses. Mm-hmm. And from their own college perspective, I'm sure that was a really good lens. Mm-hmm. Do you think that we could start getting parenting certifications? Oh my gosh, like the children come and then they give the certificates to their parents? Yeah. I'm okay with that. Let's just leave my kids out of it. Okay. <laughs> you're, are you worried? <laughs> are you concerned? They're very honest already. I don't think I need any certification to hear their honesty. <laughs> So how might your experience in this course benefit others? The benefit for others, I say a lot of it is really for other instructors who are looking to design a new course or uh, to redesign an older course. And that's in the process of going through this. So uh, in, in 20 plus years of teaching, I've, I've designed a lot of classes. And before I came into project management, I followed the path that most people do, which is, oh, I design a class. The first thing you do is you create a syllabus. Okay, well, what is it that I want to teach? Uh, What are the readings I want to assign? What are the topics each week? What are the assessments that I'm using? Boom, class is done. 
I know it's not that simple, but that's kind of the process uh, that we tend to follow. And once I started really getting into project management, and in particular, the aspects of, of time and schedule management, it really taught me to, again, break down a project into subcomponents and really think through everything that I had to do. So rather than going through the process of creating a class and doing it by gut, gut feeling, and uh, just making a decision, then realizing, oh, I have to do something else first. I go through now and I actually lay out that plan ahead of time and it's it's helped me be a lot more efficient. So over the past two months, I've been able to follow this process in the complete redesign of three courses in the time that it would usually take me to do a portion of one. Wow. Yeah. We need to package that up and, <laughs> and, and sell that. So let's go back to students for a moment. How can students apply what they learn in this course to their life? Oh, boy. That's actually a great one. And I, I tend to get a lot of emails from students both during and after the course and in, in course evaluations where they see immediate use for these things. A lot of people taking this course and others work at the project management world already. And they'll say, well, I never saw work breakdown structure, or I've seen a Gantt chart, but I don't know what it is, or network diagramming. We don't do that. And a lot of these techniques that we teach and we use are things that are done automatically now in project management software. And so I like to say that we have to understand the magic behind the curtain before we can use the magic. And so students will say, well, we suddenly did this and I tried it. Or another student who did an applied project last spring used these materials to make a particular process in their organization more efficient. So I, I get a lot of feedback like that. And then I've even had some say, yeah, I use this in, in family projects. No, no, that's what and, I'm thinking about mm -hmm. now. Like, how can I get my kids out the door? That's awesome. And, you know, I, I heard you say you get some emails from them, but what other feedback do you get from students maybe at the end or during the course that gives you some idea of, you know, things are going the right way or I need to pivot? Oftentimes I'll get interpretive questions. And, and you would think that might not be the case in project management where you've got the PMBOK. It seems like everything has a very direct answer to it. But the PMBOK is guidance. And there are a lot of ways of doing things and ways of interpreting the language that's in there. And so, uh, for example, just on, on quiz questions, students will say, well, I can see why the answer is this, but couldn't it also work in these situations? And for me, comments like that have helped me look at the course and, and approach it in using project management lingo, more from uh, an adaptive or uh, I'll say agile without meaning it, but an adaptive uh, approach where there isn't one size or one answer that fits all situations. And the tools that we provide are exactly that. You can use them in a variety of ways and come up with different results. I don't mean in terms of calculation. I mean, numbers aren't yeah. going to lie to yeah, us, yeah. at least in this case, but there are a lot of ways of doing things. And if they show me how they do it, I'll say that that's great. Let me adjust how I approach the course based on that. So let's dive a little bit deeper into the videos. You originally had some videos you mentioned. They were about 30 minutes long and you made some choices about cutting them down, going a little bit deeper into each topic. How did you make those decisions? Well, some of it, to be honest, was trimming the fat. You know, you think of like a normal lecture or talk, there's the, the usual format of tell them what you're going to tell them, tell them, tell them what you told them. Nothing wrong with that whatsoever, but a lot of it was kind of cutting down on the amount I was doing that. Today, we're talking about this, boom, and we move into it. Some of it too was, was looking at what topics were inextricably linked and had to be presented together or which were separate topics. Uh, sometimes it had to do with uh, 
topics that might be presented in uh, different media in the course. So whether covered tangentially or directly in another video from a different source, sometimes from the reading. So again, kind of trimming the fat. Probably the biggest tool for this uh, was to think about what the students, what I thought and what the committee thought the students needed to get out of this course in the end and what level of knowledge they're going to have when they're done with this. So when they finish PMG 322, they're not going to be an expert scheduler. And uh, they're not going to be like that with any undergraduate course. Uh, this is that not quite introductory, but intermediate discussion of the materials. And, and they're practicing these materials. And then we have to say, well, they have the potential with this to go somewhere else with it. And so through more practice, through execution, through experience, they're really then going to become the masters at a different level. So if I had concepts in there that I thought, well, this is a little bit above, let's focus on getting them to understand the core of this. That's where I would start to trim. Awesome. And I mean, the genius in that is you have these evergreen videos that, you know, if in the next refresh or in the next revision, you you think, you know what, it makes a lot more sense to focus on this topic in module one, as opposed to module three, right. you just move the video because it's not tied to everything that you have in module one or module three there, you know, it doesn't all it's not all in the same place. It's very modularized. And, you know. and and that's a very project management approach too, uh, in a, in an adaptive approach. Uh, but it also means that when the next refresh comes along with uh, with eighth edition, that I don't have to redo a forty minute, thirty minute segment. I can do a five to ten minute segment, and I can also use those if they are appropriately designed in different courses. Yep, love it. Everyone should be listening to this. I wish so I had smart. listened to this like twenty years ago. <laughs> So, Dave, I notice in looking at the different iterations of the course and, you know, courses change, they evolve. But in this one, talk to me a little bit about the focus of the student experience. You know, it looks like you are giving students a map. Is that intentional? It is. And in the, the map reference here, I think, is, is perfect for talking about this. To roll it back just a little bit, thinking of the, the faculty perspective on this, all faculty want students to have a great experience and they want them to get what is maybe locked in their mind. And the question we have is, how do we get it out to students in a way that makes sense to them? And so in a traditional classes, say in a classroom, it's not as hard, I would say, for them to create that map because they're engaging directly with the students constantly in, in a mutual creation of it. So they create the syllabus, which is the guide, but it's, it's like a map that's being painted in as they go. Whereas online, we have to have it created ahead of time. And, and that is something that's, that's a lot harder for us. So a couple of concepts going on there. We get guidance on it. There is, for example, uh, Quality Matters, QM, which, which is a wonderful way of thinking about what we need to do. But sometimes faculty will say, well, that doesn't match up with, with how I want to do this. And this is how I envision it. And the struggle is pairing those together for not a unified student experience, because it's all unique, but an experience that is meeting the course objective. Objectives. We get them to where we want them to go. So it's going from a traditional class concept is like having a, like a centuries old map that's more art than it is science versus a modern Rand McNally, which gets us to a place. 
And, and that's where the course design comes in. And so how do we apply that to this experience yet maintain our academic freedom in the way we want to present? And so with this experience, I, so I've gone through a lot of course experiences with, with a lot of great feedback. This is the first time that I've really seen the map from a designer's perspective before I put content in. Because the way we divided this up is we did content and assessment in, in the videos and our instructional designer was doing the design element and then we merged them together. So it's really neat to see how this was done. It, it's signposts really. Start here, do this, and then uh, you follow this pathway through. And all of these extra design elements have created not a standard approach that the faculty won't like, but a standard map for students to follow. And I like it enough that I can use it and apply it in just about any class that I do now. Dave, I love what you talked about with the map. Cartography is one of my big historical topics. Well, so you, when you said that, it's like, oh, I can do Well, that. and you, you, you dropped Rand McNally. For those who don't know what that is, it's a map. It's a map company. That's Paper. Google 1.0. I do want to give a nod to the instructional designer on the learning enterprise team within ULC, mm -hmm. Dee Dee Collins. Uh, she actually moved to a different department, our learning experience team. It gets confusing at ASU very quickly, um, but she's a designer over in that world now. But she did great work working with David to refresh this course and to present it with the ULC um, ed tech technology and ed tech tools because ed tech technology is like redundant because that's what tech is. It's technology. Anyway, back to the episode. <laughs> Do you want to talk just a little bit about the third party tools that you use and you know how you use them in your course? You did mention Yellowdig. Sure. So uh, again, the challenge with Asynchronous classes is achieving the, that same sort of interactive experience that students could have in a classroom. And Yellowdig is one of the best tools that I've found for that, where students find that in this less formal atmosphere, they're able to go back and forth and make a statement and get quick replies. It's, it's social media-like without being social media. It is also not focused on formal writing. If students and instructors understand that it is there to replicate a conversation like they might have in small groups in class, it's a wonderful tool. So I use that. I use that in graduate level too. Perusal is the other large tool, and this is one that's been evolving and changing for the better over many years. Uh, originally, I looked at it, uh, so you plug your readings into it. Students read and they have to annotate. And originally, that was all that Perusal did. Uh, so students had to engage with the reading. You knew they were doing it. But now, students are able to have conversations back and forth. So someone comments, well, they can comment on that. So again, it's another forum for classroom conversation. So those are the two big ones I use and uh, with great success. I just want everyone to know Perusal's free. Mm -hmm. So use it. It's online. You can use it with your course materials. What is it exactly? Well, it creates discussions around materials. I mm -hmm. think you can do websites too, but I've never done it. But basically PDFs, books, mm -hmm. you can even get permission from the publishers to use the books inside Perusal. And then the whole class can have a conversation highlighting, annotating, and actually having a discussion on the side. So it's kind of a an app that runs on top of whatever you're looking at, a PDF yeah. or a video or whatnot, and you can make comments on it. Basically. And if you want to integrate it with your um, LMS, you can. It's still free. And it will actually pass back the participation of your students with a strange algorithm I don't understand uh, and that you can adjust. 
back to your grade book. Oh. So it will auto grade the participation. It's pretty great. Awesome. So tell me, how does this course story end for students? Well, in some ways, I hope it doesn't end. Project management is, again, an evolving field, and there's always more education, more that students can learn. So just within ASU, of course, in, in the degree programs, we have other very specific courses within project management that will all add to their knowledge. Now, hopefully they take this in a professional direction. And so, again, I, I have students from all sorts of majors, uh, which fits with project management, which is a universally applicable concept or, or field. And so many of these students will end up as labeled project managers, or they'll be de facto project managers in their place of work. And so to help them with this, if they continue their education and if they join organizations like the Project Management Institute, they can have opportunities to uh, earn different certifications that will help them professionally. So like within PMI, the, the gold standard of this is the PMP, the Project Management Professional, which requires uh, you know, a number of years of project leadership, uh, taking a, a very challenging exam. And then you can have those PMP initials after your name, which will open a lot of doors. There are a lot of other ways of doing it too. A lot of people are using these more modern methods of project management or alternative versions such as Agile or Scrum, which is uh, falls underneath the Agile world. And so they can earn certifications like I have. I'm a certified Scrum master. You all should look that one up from Scrum Alliance. Uh, you can become a disciplined agile scrum ma uh, master through PMI or a certified associate of project management through PMI. So there are a lot of different levels you can achieve that'll help you professionally. But again, the goal behind this is to continue your education because new concepts are always coming out. Dave, anything else you would like to share with our audience? Sure. I would encourage anyone that listens to this to consider doing some form of project management education. At ASU, you can do it in an individual class as a minor, as a certificate, or as a degree. And whether you're a historian like me, or you're in aerospace industry or whatever, you'll be able to use this where you go. And I would encourage you to think about this, or even our master's in project management, where our approach to this is not just about management. We're more about project leadership because it's associated with our organizational leadership program. And so we look at that as a very serious and central component to project management, and that gives our version of it, a very different spin than other universities. That's a great answer. <laughs> See y'all in my class and B session. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm thinking of ways. I mean, I think it's like beyond career. It's like life. And I legitimately think about how to get my kids out of the house in the morning. And I need to be more of a leader, taskmaster, <laughs> scrum master. Dave, this was very informative. I hope our listeners take something away from this. I love what you shared about the refresh, the revisions, very important for students, their experience. My pleasure. Well, that was a very informative interview. I'm really excited that we got this episode in to record when we did, because now I have time to get it out for the next one and we'll be ahead of the game for the following one. Right. Whichever one that is. And Whichever one that is. we do know that we have another episode coming up that does dive deeper into the Universal Learner courses. Meredith will be back. You'll be hearing her throughout the season. And uh, we'll also be unpacking a little bit around a new project that's with ULC. So stay tuned. I think that's going to be like episode five or six. Who knows? Someone needs to get on our spreadsheet and help us. Look at season two. I mean, season four. Yeah. Look at look what to season even, four. What season are this. we even in? <laughs> <laughs> well, Mary, what, what do we want the uh, listeners to do? 
subscribe, listen, like, tell your friends and family. Mm -hmm. We're around. We're Mm -hmm. still here. Mm -hmm. We'll be back in a couple weeks. Yeah. Yeah. We got so many things going on this year. It's very exciting. Feel free to email us course stories at asu.edu and follow us on our socials at course stories. Yeah. Course Stories is available wherever you listen to podcasts. You can reach us at coursestories at asu.edu. Course Stories is produced by the Instructional Design and New Media team at EdPlus at Arizona State University. If you're an instructor at ASU Online, tell us your course story and we may feature it in a future episode. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.